0: hello and welcome to the retro that agile podcast you can get it on twitter at the retro pod or one word my name is tom bennett and as Emma. i'm joined by my co-host and friend tom oyland how you doing mate
1: i'm doing good and after that uh, after that interview uh, a couple of good laughs and a couple of good insights we've got a fantastic guest talking to you today we're going to be talking about dual track agile what's that all about we're going to be talking about kanban and scrum when to use them and when not to and whether and why context matters and we're also going to be talking about agile stateless
0: yeah we are we are funnily enough uh one more thing to mention as well this podcast is now sponsored by the good folks over at the yorkshire mafia and silicon yorkshire which is a unique platform to bring technology people events jobs opportunities energy and ideas together across the whole yorkshire region silicon yorkshire are building unparalleled connectivity across sectors industries functions and social boundaries enjoy Hello there,
1: and welcome to the Retro, that's Agile podcast. You can get us on Twitter as the Retro Pod, all one word. My name is Tom Hoyland, and I'm joined as ever by my friend Tom Bennett. How are you doing tonight? I'm very good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm doing really good. So, today on our podcast, we've got a fantastic guest talking to us about a whole host of things. We've got the founder and delivery director of Nimble Approach, Chris Roberts, joining us today. You can get Chris on Twitter as Chris Roberts UK, all one word. And you can also get him his company on Twitter as Nimble Approach. That's all one word again. And Chris is going to be talking to us about agile methods. Are they the golden ticket for team ways of working? So, Chris, how are you, buddy? And thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah. Hi. Hi, Tom. Hi,
0: Tom. Uh, thanks for having me, chaps. Uh, yeah. Good to be here. Uh, pretty well. Yeah. Good man, Chris. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we just run through your journey to where you are? First of all, and um, just go through a bit of background on you, so uh, our listeners can uh, get a bit of a feel for what you're all about. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll try and do like sixty-second version or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I think um, originally from a a long time ago, from a a project back uh, project management background in my early days of uh, IT career, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to to have an insight as early as like two thousand and eight into different lean and agile ways of working. and the, the sort of company I was with at the time and the amazing people I worked with there uh, got a lot of sort of back into sort of, of Excel and, and really sort of pushed that, uh, you know, the boundaries of that and what that could do for bringing people and teams together. Um, sort of left to do a freelancing career around 2013, I think maybe, 2013, 2014 um, when I was doing a lot of uh, more coaching and, and uh Interested in how organisations can uh, work most effectively, and how they can sort of really shape culture to to do that as well. Uh, and then, uh, not too long after I uh, first met Tom, actually, uh, I sort of spun up uh, the very sort of early days of, of Nimble Approach. Uh, so that would have been sort of midway twenty sixteen. So it's about four and a half years old now. So um, we started. Uh, as a uh, agile transformation, uh, coaching-led consultancy, I, I would sort of say, um, now offer quite a range of services, so a sort of product and technology-based uh, and, and essentially help organizations sort of deliver it at pace
0: and upskill their people and, and build capabilities where we can along the way. Awesome. So, so when you were wandering through the weeds of your project management career back in the day, when was it that you kind of stumbled across Agile and, and thought, "This is this is the, this is for me." This was it a penny drop moment? Was it a a long slog? But you know, when did you realize that that was what you wanted to pursue and sort of, I guess, build a career and a and a consultancy out of? Yeah. So I think um, I, I'd
2: I'd got probably a lot of uh, the people and visualization elements in my sort of. Project management repertoire, I guess, but without even knowing about it. And I think, you know, we were sort of lucky to work with a really sort of uh, smart guy at Technophobia called Chris Diamond, who brought a lot of lean thinking in there um, probably late 2008. Um, and, and a lot of then the different agile frameworks that followed, I sort of, you know, spent a lot of time, my own time then, um, as I'm sure maybe Tom has over the years, sort of reading up a, about it and, and, you know, really sort of challenging myself. Um, and I think we, we just, we got the freedom there uh, to, to experiment and try new things, which, which is great. You know, it was a software development house. You don't always get that freedom. Uh, some of the amazing cultural traits there, you know, I've tried to emulate in my own company. So uh, as early as that, really. But I think back in the, that sort of time, it was, in the UK, it was viewed as a bit of a niche experimental hippie in the corner sort of thing. Uh, and it still probably wasn't... Um, mainstream although i do probably hate that word um yeah <laughs> so, so so yeah lucky lucky to get a chance to try it as early as uh, as that might really
1: so talking about uh mainstream or, or hippie in the corner uh <laughs> ways of working uh, one of the things that you've been talking to us about is is agile and are agile methodologies and approaches that golden ticket back then way back in the day agile wasn't flavor of the month it wasn't as well known as it is now and you know uh i can no longer count on one hand the number of people that i see with agile coaching their job title do you think it's become an accepted new way of working do you think it's the standard um
2: i i think it's become accepted uh at sort of maybe a, a generic level i think um that there's like there is of any methodology people have got different experiences and backgrounds. And I think there's funny jokes in the industry about big A and little a and all, and all this sort of stuff. I think what I would say is, um, I've never seen personally, I don't buy into, I don't think one methodology or framework adopted wholeheartedly or, you know, whether you call that vanilla or whatever, I've never seen that to be an optimal thing. So I think, um, Always sort of blend it is a thing I look at, and I, I I don't mean being wishy-washy. I mean being very specific. Like blend, depending on your context, your people, the product or service that you're delivering, your working environment, your culture. Um, for example, uh, you know, if we were doing some rapid prototyping, or you know, something that'd be akin to alpha in the government GDS world, you know, we may blend uh, Google Design Sprint style or some lean startup elements. With something like sprints that make sense in very sort short time boxes, maybe they would be one-week sprints um, in a you know a very uh, engineering-heavy uh, MVP build. You know, there's got to be probably evolved now XP practices that have just become the norm, and maybe gone into continuous delivery. But then, what do you what do you blend with that? You know, is is that Scrum because you may be building a a product or actually? Does it make sense to, uh, you know, you may be maintaining a product and it makes sense to do something like Kanban because you've not got a lot of known work. With with all of your experience then, uh, and for our
1: listeners at the beginning of their journey, or, or for those that are well into their journey, how would, you, how would you select the right approach, whether it's a methodology, whether it's techniques, it's practices? Are there any... Uh, Clear and fast rules to selecting an approach based on the context, or is it always about sensing and responding?
2: Sure, um, I think a thing we like to do really quickly. I think it is uh, spend time with people and teams. I mean, we, we it's very important to just say whilst we're talking about methodologies, you know, uh, buy in from teams from people essentially you know the cultural enabler is you're never going to be optimal without that anyway uh, so spending time with them and maybe understanding uh, their journey maybe the the challenge they've got ahead of them what's their roadmap like I, th- I think we like to do like a, even if it's a quick thing like what I call like a diagnostic so assessing a number of like key topics so how they estimate uh how they plan uh what sort of blockers do they do what sort of organizational shape are they how uh, can they remove impediments easily a, a number of things really to make an assessment but then then it's sort of a you can shape and lead it but it's a conversation you've always got to have sort of team buy-in, really
0: and is it essential that a team Know of and understand Agile before they can adopt the practice, or can you come in to a and you know to what is essentially a completely blank canvas and introduce Agile as something that's brand new to a team? Um, and are they still able to adopt it in the same way?
2: I don't think it's uh, it's a good question, Tom. I don't think it's um, essential at all. I think there's there's part of a role we've got to play there, and, and part of that role is. Um, not going in somewhere and just you know the classic. I think I've I've seen it uh, in consulting days being done where uh, people throw a lot of buzzwords about a new terminology. I think um, I was always sort of conscious of that myself. You know, I always had a bit of a explain it then name it sort of uh, philosophy with sort of new terms and practices and, and stuff. And I think there's there's a real lot of duty there in how you put something across in plain English. You know, I think we always focus on the substance of something rather than, you know, the old buzzword bingo and throwing loads of terminology at people. I think it's, um, you've got to try and move as fast as the slowest moving person. And and, and by that, I mean, you know, some people may have had experience before, but, you know, we want to take everyone on that journey. So somebody who's completely new, it may take more time for, uh, you know, to to understand some of the sort of techniques and practices and, and, you know, the the penny to drop, so to speak
0: probably an advantage to it as well isn't there because you get some teams who think they're agile because they're using what seem to be agile tools or um or um or or practices but don't have the mindset and you know don't adopt agile as an approach but a thing so i guess probably in some ways if someone's brand new to it and you know an open mind it's probably easier for you to do your job in some instances isn't it
2: For sure, yeah. Because I think, uh, yeah, back to the everyone's had a journey, and I think, um, yeah, I guess it's, I guess first and foremost, it's important that you know. Whilst I love this this range of ways of working, it's we're not trying to um, be agile necessarily. It's not some nirvana thing. We're just trying to improve the way teams work, uh, how people are motivated at work. How they can deliver value quicker, how we can get it in front of users quicker and not just assume we've got it right or all those sort of things so I think that's the first and foremost the blank canvas thing is great because because there's probably no misconceptions, I think sometimes you know it can be difficult if you've been somewhere there's there's been a lot of uh uh i imagine uh agile transformations that uh, maybe haven't gone the way I would shape them or maybe. Tom H would would sort of shape them, and and I think you can, it, that can stay in your subconscious sometimes. So uh, people, if they had that experience, you know, can be on the fence at best at first. Uh, I don't sort of mind that. I think it's or you know, it's it's uh, it's easier than if, if I guess people are disengaged. You know, I don't don't mind the feedback.
1: I really like that. I, I like uh, the the approach that you mentioned there. So taking agile out of agile and taking the buzzwords out of it when when i when i speak to people about agile and they say well come on define it for me i tend not to use any of the the technical terms it's all about getting back to what we're trying to do and that's build products better build teams better and ultimately delight customers so i always go back to dan north's definition so sustainably reducing the lead time to business impact and that doesn't mention technology. It doesn't have any buzzwords in there. It's all about having that business impact, whether you're in the public sector, the private sector. However, you're trying to move that that dial or that needle. That's the focus, and it's about finding a way to do that in a better way, in a more sustainable way. One of the things that you, you did mention that I really liked, and I would just want to drill into a bit. And going off uh, off uh, other Tom's uh, question about uh, what is the perfect client, what is the perfect environment to be in. I would I would. I I suppose I really like the the instances where you're working with people who are sat on the fence. In fact, they're off the fence and they don't particularly like the Agile journey that they've been on before. They've got a bad taste in the mouth. They've been through some Agile horror stories. Agile has been done to them in a bad way. Uh, The really exciting Agile journeys I always find and the most rewarding ones for me is where you see that penny drop. But my goodness, does it make a clunk when it hits the floor? And people come back from being on the one side of the fence to really being on the other. I don't know about you. Have, have you had a couple of those?
2: Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Yeah, I, uh, as ever, sort of enjoy the way you you phrase things. Um, you're
0: dropping two pound coins, Tom. That's why yeah. not pennies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's that's part of the challenge, but I mean, um, it's part of the enjoyment as well, right? I mean, it just, it'd be boring if if it was sometimes easy. And I think yeah. So you're it will have that clunk or you know that big impact as we're saying there i think if you have to take the time though to get to know people and 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 the the journey they've been on because then that that factors into maybe how you word phrase slant things um you know because there may be certain uh triggers you know that might maybe um I don't know, maybe maybe to do with the abuse of buzzwords or it may be to to do with um, being incredibly careful about, you know, uh, you know, velocity not being a primary measure of success or, uh, as you know, is often uh, debated in the industry with metrics and stuff. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's part of the challenge. It's part of the, the fun and, and it, it can have a big impact. But I think only if you probably understand that everyone's different and come on a different journey, there are some that, it is easier because as tom b says you know they've got that sort of blank canvas and uh, yeah uh remember our uh our uh, mutual friend mr potter being quite like that uh, yeah the other days on of office thought so it was brilliant
1: yeah it was always good to see people go on that journey because you could you could see that mindset change but but talking about uh there is no perfect method we've got a whole host of things in our agile toolbox we've got kanban we've got extreme programming we've got scrum if we want to use it sometimes when you put those or when you introduce those approaches to teams some teams want to adapt it they want to change it immediately and then some teams want to embrace it exactly by the book and uh, in the in the agile space in the coaching and improvement space we often talk about things like the the shuhari cycle yeah how How do you react when a team sees scrum for the first time grabs it from you, grabs it off the shelf and then starts tailoring it without getting to grips with the basics and the fundamentals that sit behind it? would you advise that they they tailor it immediately or is it about building that muscle memory? Where do you stand on that
2: yeah yeah uh, brilliant question um I, th- I think it can be so whilst I'm saying you'd you'd probably never um, do to, to be obvious to be optimal rather do one uh, methodology or work to one uh, by the book uh, as you've said a lot of uh, organizations will start with scrum i think it it's easy it adds up in people's heads it's easy to understand uh, there's almost like a nice story element of how you know the sort of cadence and ceremonies and stuff fit together um i think it, yeah it's i mean it sounds everything's just on merit right but that sounds like uh pretty dangerous i think if it's um if it's just uh something a bit quirky about how they might set a cadence i think that's one thing i think if it's just like if it's almost like a uh, maybe a negative cultural no we're just gonna ignore that bit because that's not how we do things around here yeah i think you you Got to be trying there to advise and guide there, and I think it can be uh, it can be sort of dangerous without back to the penny dropping to to just sort of start uh, wholesale attacking and changing bits. I would expect that would come of time, but when they have probably had I guess chance to evaluate it, and, and that's what I mean. You're going to still blend it with, I imagine technical practices but I guess the core framework yeah it can be quite dangerous to uh, to just start
0: hacking at it even if that phrase maybe sounds cool you mentioned um you mentioned uh, I I guess kind of a cultural challenge there in that sort of coming up against a situation where someone's you know that's that's just not how we do things that's not you know that's not how things go around here do you ever have to sort of step back and say look this is not a culture or an environment that you know we can successfully help you deliver in through this way of working i've not i've not wholesale come across that
2: i think um i i imagine there are environments like that and i've worked in some very challenging ones myself uh tom but i think um you have to evaluate i think um sometimes the 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 greater good and it and it's um you know, sometimes there are fifty things. You know, I could probably see within a few weeks to improve within an organization, um, and some significant ones we might not get to. But sometimes it's a bit of a map and it's a journey that they they go on. And I think sometimes it's evaluating. Um, you're trying to build momentum. You're trying to get. Uh, you're trying to get a sort of motivation for changing that. You know we've made a change and we can quite quickly see a positive impact so sometimes there are elements of low-hanging fruit and i think you know that they, they may not be ideally like the biggest impact changes but sometimes you may have some cultural resistance to uh, bigger changes um so i think yeah i mean if there are organizations that you know Incredibly hierarchical art bought into really changing something's maybe a bit of a tick box exercise. I, I think that'd be incredibly challenging, uh, and, and it, it just may be can we really help them? Um, but I've not, uh, whilst you don't always get the sort of uh, buy in to do what you feel might be the exact optimal approach, I think, um, I've not come across an environment where I couldn't help and, and leave them in a better place than where we sort of started. Yeah, I think it's it's
1: very much about incremental gains and and just like we would encourage teams to deliver in an agile way, working with teams to build their capability, that also comes part and parcel in an agile way as well. Right? It's about listening to the feedback that you're getting and, and going after the things that you can have an impact within a short time period and you can measure that I don't, I don't know how you feel about that
2: yeah i think i, I think the the measuring of, is is very important i mean i think you can do that in ways of work and you can do that in, in product right i often say you know the, the column to the right of done or live or whatever should be measured um, um I, I think yeah that that's really important i think it, not assume you know um like yourself you know i've done this a while now been passionate about it you know for the bulk of my career I think but you've got to also um, you know realise you're going to have blind spots you don't sometimes if you're new to working with an organisation whether you're in the organisation or you're just working with them um, you're not going to know that as much as them so I think you know you've got to stay humble and you know challenge yourself personal retros as well just so that you can sometimes zoom out and get to 10,000 feet to maybe sort of see the bigger picture
1: yeah I really like what you said there about uh, examining those blind those blind spots so uh, in in a piece of consultancy that I've been doing at the moment one of the things that I've done is I've reached out to a, a colleague to say actually could you fly with me on this one I want a second pair of eyes on this just to one make sure that I'm not biased in any kind of way and also then to just bring it bring a different perspective to things because everybody's different everybody's got like you've said uh, their own experiences some of people are being burnt by things so they're hypersensitive to it yeah. other people actually ha- they haven't had that experience so they may approaching in a totally different way without any kind of biases or filters that they've built up but one of the things that I've always found really interesting about uh, agile delivery is is it starts where it came from and predominantly it came from software engineering yeah uh, obviously Kanban and those things way predate software engineering. But if you look at things like Scrum, if you look at things like uh, software engineering Kanban, it's based around some of the things that you see in extreme programming. When you are trying to fit extreme programming principles, the idea of continuous delivery together with things like user research and user-centered design, how do you bring those two things together? I know I've struggled before in the past and worked out different ways to do that to to obviously to make these two heuristically very different (laughs) stakeholder groups happy one of the things that you've said that you want to talk about is dual track delivery Uh, could you give our listeners an idea of what that is all about
2: yeah sure yeah so um so yeah so the idea of what i called dual track value stream or um i don't even know if if widely dual track agile is known as a thing but but i i mean by it get a patent on it
0: mate asap (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I i i look at um basically in parallel th- think of it as two tracks really in parallel you know a- as well as um how do we get high value ready whilst we're at the same time delivering it um so um this is you know how we get it ready Maybe may be looking at you know how we uh, yeah capture user needs so user interviews workshops uh we might uh, prototype. Um, how do we uh, think of scenarios for users using things like BDD? Um, and then I guess part of that is then we're getting it ready to deliver. So we'll flesh out stories, we'll review wireframes, we'll get team and or user feedback, um, and then we'll prioritise in, I guess, like the hopper, if you like, the, the, the funnel into how we deliver. So I think, um, yeah, the, the challenge there is... Um, trying to sort of work with your team and, and figuring out, I guess, um, who who's involved in those activities. Um, a, a key thing, uh, it's not, um, you know, it's certainly not a, uh, a high profile thing, but a key thing just is the the sort of almost the planning element of it and how you avoid like the context switching. So I think, you know, um, when we, we used to, we'd carve out like, I think, you know, 8 30 before a stand-up the last time so we i worked with this in this way and and you know that was a, a a time before uh you know before we had we'd have a stand-up and then we'd be you know team would be coding testing after after that so i think we'd have like this story time um so that they didn't have to switch context you know um we'd have a what we call like a placeholders for like a, a golden hour you know that would during the delivery sprint but you know we'd factored in that there was going to be this time and it was like a placeholder to you know for teams to um to be involved like sort of working with a, a PO or BA to refine stories so you know the idea that you know we'll 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 understand at a high level what a story is but then you'll get input of a team um and, and then we'd also uh as well as planning you know factor in like we'd still have a a story kickoff because sometimes we'd be you know kicking off and starting a story I guess seven or eight days maybe after we'd planned it so I think um that was really important just for that sanity check to ask questions um you know to sort of write automated acceptance tests um so hitting that go button really so yeah it, it, it's, it's quite interesting because uh, I don't know about you Tom like I've uh, I've never seen it talked about like in the in that way too much, but it's really important. It's almost just some organizations struggle with it being like a, a messy thing, how they sort of fit in almost the scoping element of it or the user needs and, or usability testing element of it um, alongside delivery. But I've, I've never seen it sort of planned too great. And I sort of uh, used to then sort of sketch out and, and make it almost its own thing. I do think it is its own thing. I think if you if you look at
1: discovery and you look at delivery, they both behave in very different ways. Uh, discovery is more expansive in my in my uh, experience. Uh, you you are working with a different group of stakeholders. You've got user experience folks. You've got user researchers. We've got market research. We've got all the people that are, are facing the wider organisation or your customers that you're delivering to. And to get a really good understanding of that domain, I've always found that to try to constrain that into a, a one-week time box uh, at, a, at a user's story level does a, a massive disservice to uh, to those people in those professions. Not to mention wind them up quite a lot, uh, because you've been asked to break something down when, actually, when you're working in that space, what you want to do is you want to see the whole picture, so you can focus in on the things that matter, where you can have the biggest impact. I find delivery to be a totally different kettle of fish uh, it's about breaking things down. You can reduce things really easily. Make, you know, break things down into their building blocks. And you can get to continuous delivery a lot quicker. They are different things, and I think how you mix them together is very much at a at a team and a context level. What that team is willing to accommodate, how user centred that team wants to become. And then also from a business, how quickly do you want to move? Are some things that on you know are some things on that radar that whole picture more important than others? It's uh, I would say that context again is key. But I've, I've, I, it's something that I continue to struggle with. And that's not to say that it's bad to struggle. I suppose uh, because yeah. you're constantly fine tuning it. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, you are. Yeah, because you only ultimately solve things if they uh niggle you to a, a, a point of becoming a real pain right and then i think it's um, as you say it, with this in particular i think it, it context is everything and and it's a you know i guess so you, you'll know this so uh if you're a product focused organization and you know you might regularly release features you know the the thing there is you know do you uh, do you usability test those with certain do you have different user groups to usability test a new feature in live and get that feedback what if you get some burning feedback that says geez we're missing a trick here you know if uh, if the feature was sort of mended like this and uh, maybe that'll be feedback or maybe that'll be observed from a behavioral thing from the usability testing um, but then how uh, you may have an aggressive roadmap of features coming up and it's how you then feed that in and then it's like well you know do we have a uh, user researchers and and, and designers are they are they part of a cross-functional team or or is the what's the sort of cadence in like uh, ceremonies events that how they how they can feed back do they just sync up with a product person or you know do they do they pair with an engineer so that they understand maybe the pain and how does that get prioritized in a in a backlog I just think it's a really interesting topic I I don't think there is a uh, a sort of golden answer with it other than it's really sort of important to define uh, at your organization dependent on quite a number of factors that we said there
1: uh, one of the things i do like uh, and this comes from uh, uh, from an absolutely fantastic user researcher that i used to work with and uh, one of the things that she said was that user research is really about risk and when we come to decide to deliver something if we don't understand it if we don't understand our users and their needs what their expectations are. We can always take a a bet on delivering something. We can always get something into production pretty quickly, but that may not have the impact that we think. We could actually be running a massive risk that that thing doesn't have the impact with the users that we're expecting. In fact, it drives users away. And that's always really struck a chord and stayed with me.
2: Yeah. And I think the, the, the challenge there, but depending on organization again, then is, you know, can you, almost in advance even if it's sort of low fidelity be be testing those you know features uh, as we would have done you know in a, a previous life say in alpha you know um, on, on a team um, how do you uh, how do you sort of feed that into getting that early feedback is there a, a simple mechanism you can uh, do that with such a short loop and it can still feed in uh, ahead of say a feature dropping to production you know in, in real world?
0: I think Tom used the phrase before context is king. Um and it's something that it's it's something that we hear a lot but it's it's I'd be keen to understand at what length do you need to understand sort of the narrative associated with that team or or, or or department that you're going into before you can sort of make a decision as to whether this approach is going to work how how long and how in depth is that scoping phase to to kind of work out you know right is 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 this team right for you know for for this approach.
2: Yeah sure I um I'd always uh, I'd always be cautious of just never just sort of steaming, uh, you know, somewhere, back to the whole cultural buy-in as well, but you never sort of steam in just, there's no optimal approach until you get to know the team, the environment, the ways of working a bit, maybe the challenges that they're facing. Um, I think, you know, if you're working quite closely with a team, um, that, that doesn't have to be, months but you know that there's a minimum it's probably at least two or three weeks I, I would say um even if you're very observational and you've got great feedback uh from from them and um, yeah the, the, the key there is uh, um, just to reiterate yeah not to not to steam in because there isn't um there isn't like a mandated silver bullet best best case approach to this uh those just a uh, an interesting topic that you, you Probably don't see considered all that much, Um, and uh, yeah, certainly needs that collaborative working with the 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 team to uh, to figure it out. I guess on a on an org by org level, I I would say that usually when you go into
1: organisations, you meet you meet new teams. You'll see, I suppose, from from our perspective, strange behaviours, weird practices, things that are, are are strange and wonderful, and it's very easy just to jump in and, and, and be in that diagnostic mode and say, this is the problem, this is the symptom, and this is usually the underlying cause. But one of the, the interesting things I've always found is that on the surface, things look can look strange in some places, and you can think, actually, this is a total anti-pattern, in inverted commas. Why the hell are you doing this? Let's get this changed now. But actually, the story behind that is even more interesting. And I think that's where consultants, really good consultants, have... That ability to to quickly talk to people, to get past that initial barrier of oh my goodness somebody new's coming and they're going to see all of the dirty laundry that we've got and our strange ways of working, just make them feel safe so they can explain why things are the way they are. Because it's not that people create strange systems because they want to, sure. it's often, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they do, uh, but sometimes, but most of the times they just emerge out of out of context out of things that have happened it's the history of the organization that's brought the organization to work in that way any any thoughts on that
2: yeah um very good point yeah I think it's you you've got to go in with a exploratory mindset and I think um almost like Tom B was talking about like working with team members who've got a blank canvas you, you've got to have that in your head you know you can be armed with a range of different sort of toolkits and what will work in different uh, organisations, but you, you, there's a bit of exploration there and, and understanding, yeah, not dismissing the some of what appear quirks or, or, I guess, uh, strange sort of habits or practices. Um, there often is quite a reason. Uh, sometimes there might be a reason and it doesn't make sense, sure, but I think you, you can't just again you, you're on a bit of a discovery yourself initially and i think you can't just start dismissing things because there may be a very good reason when you sort of peel the onion a bit you know and, and you understand um why things are how they are and it, it may work for that organization That that's all thinking back to the methodology thing you know that's why i never do something over a long period of time totally vanilla because at one point that a lot of that has got to be that methodology or framework has got to be formed based often like one person working at one organization um and and you know i think um you've got to tailor and customize to an organization but you you can't sort of make snap rash judgments uh it's that sort of initial little exploratory voyage of discovery yourself
1: yeah i think one of the One of the things i always like to see when i'm working with with teams and and when consultants come to work with us uh, is that is consultants seeing the impact of their decisions and their behaviors so some people will will drop into teams a lot of noise will be made there'll be lots of flashes there'll be bangs lots of attention will be generated to have an impact but then some consultants will move on to the next place and all of those changes those things that they've tried to put in place they don't stick they're not embedded in the mindset We've you you mentioned the onion there some some of our listeners will be aware of the agile onion you've got the superficial the tools that we use on a day-to-day basis but really when you think about it it's about changes in mindset and that is something that takes a huge amount of time i don't know what what you think to that what
2: is nimble's philosophy there yeah um so that it's better to to build relationships uh, to understand to, to, to culturally align even if even if the sort of change the, the rate of change or you know is, is, is a little bit sort of slower but it brings everyone with you I mean I've and that's coming from you know occasions where I've sort of seen um, probably before I'd started my own consultancy seen one sort of uh, swoop in you know the Sit so on the consultant's table. It's oh, they've been brought in by senior management. Oh, they're doing this. We're going to work in this way now. Um, and you know, you you have to be perceptive, right? There's obviously a certain amount of emotional intelligence you've got to try and gauge this with. But you can just sort. Of, I've sort of almost been a, a passerby. You know, when I've worked as an independent and sort of seen uh, seen sort of, uh, I guess, permanent employees from that organisation, almost just like the sort of very quick roll your eyes maybe lip service so it's you know it's okay they'll be gone in three months so you know (laughs) and and, and that's the thing I really you know um, if we worked in that really made me cringe if we worked in that way and I think uh, you know it's part of why I set up Nimble in the early days when it was just very uh, agile transformation heavy what we were doing was to um, to form like a, a little network of, of like-minded people, you know, who I, think, I thought sort of shared those values who I, you know, trusted, but always go in and do it the right way. And whilst the right way is never granular defined, because as we've been saying, it's different at each place. I just mean that principle of starting with getting to know people, understand the background, build relationships, then you get by into move, but you you're moving all together uh, versus a, uh, lip service thing, or actually, versus a uh, you know you've gone in and pissed people off, so that you know you just that they that they are rebelling or they're disengaging or you know,
0: yeah, yeah, got you. I saw I saw, I saw something on LinkedIn the other day. It was um, someone had advertised a role, and it was it was agile coach transformation based role, and it was um, they were looking for someone to come and help install install an agile culture. Do you buy into that? The idea of agile as a culture, Are you having that? Uh, um... <laughs> I'm like you know you're
2: phrasing things now all the time. Um, yeah, um, so um not as a not as a one-stop shop or silver bullet thing. I mean, um, as probably a lot of people know listening, um a lot of this stems from a lot of values and principles. I think they're great. Um, I always find it's difficult with culture because I think that's a thing you, culture to me is like values and beliefs and that's something you work with people and you shape like, so I'm always a bit sort of cautious when I sort of see like implement or instill like, because it it just implies an element of where it's just a mechanical thing. Right. And it's like, you know, (laughs) yeah.
1: Hit install.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robots are a mechanical thing. They've not taken over from people yet. You know, we still, culture's people-driven. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be a bit dubious of that, yeah.
1: So when, we, when we've talked about different frameworks, when we've talked about uh, culture, different ways of working, where teams are, one of the things that put one of the teams that I was working with really off Agile, and this was a business change team, was some of the language that was used with them. And I started to work with them, and we started to talk about Kanban. And they looked at me with fear, and I said, so why, why are you worried about Kanban? It's okay, we're just we're just making work visible, and we'll, we'll help you reduce the amount of work in process. And they said, oh, we, we don't like Kanban, because Kanban was done to us a couple of years ago. And we've got a cupboard, and we call it the Kanban. I'll tell, oh. this story a couple, I'll tell this story a couple of times. There's no way to get away from this, is there, really?
0: Is, is the board in the cupboard?
1: Uh, the board, there was no <laughs> There was no board. Oh, it right. was just a cupboard. <laughs> and so so if we, if I was to go back in time and we could get, get Chris to, to explain to this team, uh, not to fear uh, Kanban, Kanban is not a cupboard, what is Kanban uh, for, for our new listeners?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, so, yes, I think it can be widely misunderstood. So, I think um, I'll just first touch on that. So, I've I sort of a disbelief how I often sort of see uh, Kanban, and I don't know if it's whether the understanding or it's a get out clause for not doing Scrum, but you know, we're not doing sprints or we're not having ceremonies on a cadence. Um, you know, we're doing Kanban and, and um, yeah, Kanban, as, as we know, well, as you know, and I think a lot of listeners might know um you know it's been repurposed uh, for our industry from a a, a very long time ago uh, when it was sort of first used by Toyota in the sort of car manufacturing industry um to me um it's it's quite a light touch work optimization framework really it it, it doesn't prescribe uh it doesn't prescribe a lot um I, I think um Probably a disservice type was introduced, maybe, to the you know, the uh, the team you were talking about there. Because I mean, like, it starts with some very simple things, and then you work with the team to get feedback, you explore, you know, expose what what you know, blockers or I guess bottlenecks are, and, and you you evolve as you go. I mean, I mean, a lot of it, um, for people who didn't want initial massive sweeping change, I mean, it does. Unlike Scrum, it doesn't um, it doesn't sort of prescribe a, le- a number of set roles. You know, I think it, it respects the initial roles and responsibilities. Um, and also, I think you know it, it helps add um, a personal and team what I'd call discipline. And I, and I obviously have to be careful of the word discipline because it's got many connotations. I don't mean in a culturally negative kind of way here. I mean it. it you know, it helps. Um, you know, avoid. Uh, context switching, especially in a world where um, you know the reality is you know that users, consumers are expecting more value out of uh, you know more shipping of technology features than ever before, uh, and is really useful just that it helps eliminate context switching. Um, I think um, we'd go on to you know I think it's it's got a number of techniques that even if we were working say to a, a Scrum framework, I, I still that you'd be it might be contentious, but I still think you have been mad to pass on. Like, you know, I think working process limits um, helping sort of really define your end-to-end value stream, i.e., you know, the columns that work items will pass through on a board to the extent of, uh, you know, having sub-columns that, that make it clear, you know, where the sort of traffic jams are, where work is sort of batching, um, and that helps identify where there's maybe... Uh, ineffic- inefficiencies in teams or, you know, I guess the common one might be wow, you know, there's always 10 or 12 things awaiting uh, test and we're, we're just actually pumping work into the middle of the board for it to sort of you know, jam up. Um, you know, it's really good at exposing that. Um, it's really good at um, you know, helping, I guess uh, developers, for example, look at the end-to-end value stream and the whole like pull not push so you know looking right to see if there's anything they can help with test and release before they're looking left to see if they can pull you know the next tech task off a new feature into development again you know because the value is um you know getting things um getting things through the value stream very quickly um you know without any huge sort of uh, blockers or delay and so you know the flow element of it really interests me i think it can be really Powerful when a team gets it and uh you know there's an understanding there
0: yeah i, I agree I, I work in a people team rather than a technology team so um i quite often see kanban um introduced to teams as i guess the the more the more easily adoptable agile methodology or, or, or way of working um quite often when you you you, you see you see sort of hr agile hr um in in teams it's quite often diluted and it's and it's and it's 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 it often starts with with kanban but i agree i think it's a i think it's a great way of a visualizing your workload but b driving collaboration and 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 helping teams visualize sort of where work overlaps and you know where where, where different teams can pick up um, different pieces of work and, and help one another and like you say there's no prescribed roles um there's no um that you that less of the sort of forced time windows like there's no sprints or you know, you've got you've got a you've got an end date and a goal but um you know you you you're sort of I guess in a way free to to to, to manage that at, at, at the pace in which you see fit so I agree I, th- I think it's I think it's of it's the least scary of the met- of the um of the approaches put it that way <laughs> yeah I think it, it can be used by uh two ends of the
2: spectrum right so it it, it can be a if we we're going back to when we're saying an organisation is uh, seems hesitant or a bit scared of change, you know, it, it can be used as a slow uh, evolving method uh, to do that. Uh, slow or not so slow, just, just depends on what you expose, how quickly, and then. But I think the thing with there is you you do need the buy-in because there you, you are going to sort of uh, surface a lot of impediments, and of course you can't solve them all. At, at, at one time, but you're going to sort of see, almost see a blocker, a problem, uh, you know, work with the team and change something in your way of working um, to iter- iteratively improve how you work. So you're starting very, we're respecting everything now, but you see a change, you have to sort of change it and, and it can be powerful that way. It can also be powerful. I think the most mature teams uh, who can work in this way, you know, they may not do a lot of this, Scrum ceremonies and events, but even if they're rebadged on a different canvas, on a different cadence, rather, you know, teams are always going to need an element of planning. They're always going to need, uh, you know, an instance where they can chat about the work and flag blockers. Teams are always going to be able to want to chat, I would hope, about what's going well and how they could improve. Um, So I think the most mature team they've probably seen have have, have sort of done. kanban but you know I think I think back to uh, one of the projects we worked on you know not not too long ago and I think working on an um, I don't know if you've come across this Tom like a, an on-demand planning so I think yeah. we but it, it needs a hell of a lot of not a sexy word again but discipline and and so where the you know backlog gets below a certain threshold let's say it's you know less than three features you know we uh, you know we might have have to buy in that within 48 hours we're going to have a team planning session you know the planning session may only be half an hour and we may just be topping up but I think that that can really work well but it needs that discipline and I think uh, so, so I guess for people, teams new to it uh, it can work but if you're bought into changing what you find <laughs> uh, and I guess uh, more mature teams I think that's the real Powerful end of the spectrum where it's almost single single atom flow you're releasing really quickly. I think that's probably where you'd see a lot of maybe things like mobbing as well um, can be really powerful. I think what you've said there, although we've talked about the words and we've highlighted
1: the word discipline quite a bit, uh, I do totally agree with you about the the level of discipline that's required in using Kanban and using Kanban well. So in my experience, a lot of teams start with Scrum because it's very easy to package. It's very easy to get into. Eight out of 10 cats prefer Scrum, let's face it. Sure. Uh, but once they've got into that rhythm, it once they've gone into that framework, then I do see a lot of really good teams actually start to discard some of the things that hold them back. So like we've talked about going through that shuhari learning cycle, some really good teams say, actually, you know what? Time boxing things doesn't quite work for us. The nature of our work has changed now. We need to be more responsive. So, so going to something like Kanban looks quite appealing on the surface, but it's no, it's not an excuse for chaos. Because Ab- I think, uh, sorry, go on, mate.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say that's back to the the myths though, isn't it? About you know, uh, <laughs> very uh, still a very simple board, but no uh, limits, sub-columns, no policies, type. But we're just sort of saying that because. Oh, sprints are hard aren't they you know we never meet you know <laughs> that that classic and, and the classic thing you have to be very careful of if you're using scrum and sprints about not over committing because you know you know believe it or not humans are optimists and we like you know we always start and over commit and we like to think we can achieve certain things and um yeah I, I absolutely take your point it's uh you have to be sort of very careful I, I don't think I don't think Kanban just you said how it's packaged there, and I think that's very true. It it does it fit together from like a really uh, massively oversimplifying. I don't want to piss people off here, but it just fits together like a very simple story. You know, I think Kanban can be a bit more formal, a bit more almost scientific how it's sort of uh, a lot of how it's maybe presented, and I think maybe sometimes you get a bit of hesitancy with that and. You know can maybe put people off
1: yeah i think i think really good teams really highly disciplined teams they listen to those signals exactly like you said so if we're over committing and we're using scrum or a variation of scrum and we're getting that that signal consistently we respond to that through a retrospective we we see the problem we identify it, and then we change our ways of working exactly the, the types of things that you've been talking about here and then in kanban if you get to below X number of things in the hopper, as you've mentioned, yeah. then that's a very clear signal that we need to do something. And we shouldn't have to wait for a uh, a ceremony. I can't, we don't call them ceremonies anymore. An event to come around, something like a sprint planning session. It's ad hoc, but it's about that discipline. It's about knowing uh, that that it's something that needs to happen. And when we don't do these things, there's a detriment to the team, a detriment to the product and the overall, the human pipeline that we're talking
2: about here. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think um, then back to, uh, I guess, what, to sum it up, I think, you know, experiment, change quickly, you've got to have the safe environment. You know, you, you can't, you, you, back to your point at the beginning, you, you may try and use something just to understand it at first before you customise and uh, roll your own, so to speak. But that has to come with a certain level of uh, understanding, maturity, the safe environment for the
0: team um so yeah the question we kicked off with was agile methodology is the, the the golden ticket to team ways of working and as a uh director of an agile consultancy you could have very easily come on here and just gone yes um but i've, <laughs> but I've enjoyed this chat a lot more it's Really interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah I'd, uh, I'd really shot myself in the foot if i'd have just come on and said no <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um Yes, they are, but it it depends. You know, there's there's uh you know the 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 people element. I think we've been the theme throughout it, right? Sort of drives this, and I think um, you know, teams have a dynamic, and I think it yeah, it depends on quite a number of those things. But uh, yeah, um, they are. I'd always try and still blend when a team understands it, but uh, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay. So what we'll do now then is uh before we wrap this up we'll give you an opportunity to plug uh, nimble approach. Uh, do you want to give us a quick uh, overview of them and uh let them know your calling card?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so um, at Nimble, we're an independent product and technology consultancy. Uh, We offer a range of services that that focus on either agile coaching and transformation or or delivery of software products and services. Uh, For that, we use our pop-up squad model, um, which sort of utilizes... Um, quite lean, cross-functional teams uh, that, that aimed at partnering with you to uh, accelerate delivery of your roadmap, delivering value quickly.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. So I've had a really good time today. I've learned uh, a lot. And it's, always been, it's always nice to to talk to you, Chris. Uh, I think okay. uh, next next week we're going to be talking about the team that thought a window was a user experience uh, oh. as opposed to a Kanban cupboard. I don't know. What, what do you think of that one, Tom? <laughs> I'm all in, mate. I'm all in yeah okay other other types of furniture and uh, uh
2: building things are available okay so, so. a quick one was the was the cupboard it wasn't like a the euphemism for the the bin being the special filing cabinet was it
0: tom no it was know. tom didn't know it was locked inside it it <laughs> <laughs> was a
1: real cupboard and everything there was like there was paper in there there was pens i mean i even saw a stapler
2: <laughs> Believable scene.
0: How long we were <laughs> you re- in there?
2: Six years. Six years in there. The things he sees gonna write a book one day soon.
1: Just like Narnia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. We're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I'll say goodbye from me. Goodbye from Tom.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's nice been so. a
1: been a pleasure, chaps. Cheers. Yeah. See you later. See you later, folks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.